Welcome to the Renewing the Center podcast. My name is Chris McDaniel, and we want to thank you for joining us today. Here at Renewing the Center, we're answering God's call to work for the spiritual renewal of the church. For more information, visit renewingthecenter.org. We're glad to have you with us today. Now, let's make some space for God's renewing work. Today on the podcast, we're going to look at Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 14 through 20, and then we're going to pray and see what we can see from the word. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And as he went a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, I pray for my friends today, and I ask you, Lord, on this Wednesday of Holy Week, the date of the publishing of this podcast episode, that you would help us to be present to you, Jesus. Father, it's telling that here during Holy Week, we are reminded of the way the disciples were called into this thing in the first place, this friendship with Jesus. And God, we acknowledge to you that as we face uncertainty, it's often very helpful for us to look back at the very beginning uh, to clarify our heart's intent and our need to see you for who you are. So help us to do that today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As I alluded to in my prayer, I think that this passage in our daily lectionary is actually really timely for Holy Week. Uh, I said this on Monday, um, one of the great invitations of the Lenten season in in general, but Holy Week in particular, is to uh, follow Jesus even when he leads us down some dark and uncertain or scary pathways. And that's clearly what's happening here as Jesus is moving toward betrayal and the cross. And so I find it so helpful and clarifying that here we're reminded of Jesus' first encounter with a number of his friends. It's as if we're invited to look back to how a thing begins in order to stay faithful in the midst of hardship. And the first thing I want to say about this passage is that Jesus' ministry, his work begins in the middle of difficulty. This John the Baptizer referenced in this passage was the one who had prepared the way for Jesus' ministry, and he's arrested, um, and it's, his arrest is connected with the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The two being related tell us something really important. It tells us that Jesus did not do his work in a time of peace and ease, but rather it was in an environment of difficulty and resistance that Jesus began to minister, and that's really important for us. This gospel, Mark, the one that we read from this this morning or today or wherever it is, whenever it is you're listening to this, um, Mark, the gospel of Mark hit the streets of Rome in roughly the mid-60s AD at a time of intense persecution. Um, Christians were suffering in remarkable ways under the Roman emperor Nero. Um, they were being killed, fed to the lions, um, burned alive. It was a horrible time, a very challenging time to be a Christian. And so it's very interesting that in Mark's gospel, we're told that Jesus' ministry starts at a time of similar difficulty. The Christians then, and those of us now who are going through our own trial and tribulation and difficulty, should be taking heart in the fact that Jesus is not unfamiliar to adversity. 
Actually, I would argue that Jesus' ministry resounds best in the midst of trouble and uncertainty and adversity. That's what Christians have always believed. So if you're facing trouble right now, I would just say Jesus' ministry is um, for you. It's timely for now, for you, for me. The second thing I think we're meant to see in this passage is this. Jesus spends a ton of time in Galilee. We see this theme run right through his entire ministry. He doesn't choose to spend the bulk of his time in Jerusalem, the big city. He spends his time in out-of-the-way places, in places that are on the margin And it's fascinating to me that Jesus spent his time in little out-of-the-way places. And if you're anything like me, uh, you oftentimes feel like you yourself are a little bit of an out-of-the-way place, not maybe um, important enough for God's attention. Well, I just want to say, Jesus, he has come for people just like you and me. What was his message when he came? When he was doing his best work in Galilee, this passage tells us that his message was, repent and believe. This is exactly what the text says. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is as loaded and full a sentence as you will ever hear. So I want to unpack it for us because I think there's something here for you and me. First, Jesus says the time is fulfilled. He's speaking now in this moment of a fullness of time, a kind of pregnant time, a ready time. He's saying, I'm going to do something. It's like recently at my church, we, we looked at the fact that it was in the fullness of time that God set the Jews free from Egyptian bondage. They didn't know time was pregnant, but it was. And in a moment, almost suddenly, out of nowhere, they're set free. Jesus is saying something similar here. He's saying in the fullness of time, the time is fulfilled. Then he says, the kingdom of God has come near. And I believe that for our purposes, and y'all, this is so important because we don't live in a kingdom. I mean, if you if you live in the United Kingdom and we do have listeners in the UK, you do. I mean, your royal family is not knocking it out of the park these days, but most of us don't live in a kingdom. Uh, we don't live in a place where we think, oh, you know, I give allegiance to a queen or a king. So here's how to understand the kingdom. The kingdom of God, when Jesus speaks of it, is best in, seen in terms of God as king ruling all of creation. It's, it's meant to be understood as the reign and rule of God's dominion. It's not a geographical place. It's not a locality like England or the UK. It's a state of being that one enters where God is king and he is ruling. And Jesus is saying, my kingship, my authority has come near to you. And I believe that one of the things for us to see and maybe an invitation for us to embrace is that God wants us to see that his authority has come close to us. And then what does he say? The third part of that sentence, repent and believe in the good news. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite scholars, he's um, a professor now at St. Andrews, actually not at St. Andrews, he, he's at uh, Wycliffe Hall in Oxford now. He, he gives this take on that sentence. He says, essentially, when Jesus says, repent and believe in the good news, what he's effectively saying is, give up your agenda and take up my agenda. And I love that because that is not just a one-time decision, like you pray a prayer at an altar. Some of us grew up and repent and believe was like, when did you get saved? It's important to get saved, to to commit and, and say, Lord Jesus, I trust in you. But what Jesus is speaking about here is an ongoing surrendering of our agenda so that we would pick up the agenda of Jesus. So what does it look like for you to surrender your agenda and pick up Jesus's agenda? 
I think that's a fundamental question in front of all of us. I want to become a person who increasingly lets go of my agenda and takes up the agenda of Jesus. And that's what repent and believe really mean. And then the last thing Jesus says here is, I want you to follow me so that you would become a fisherman, a fisher of people. And I love it. This is the first action of Jesus' ministry in the book of Mark. It's not a powerful sermon. It's not a healing. It's not a miracle. It's not something done to multitudes. It was his call to four fishermen to follow him and be in relationship with him. And it's interesting that he used their vocation. He didn't say, come follow me and I'll make you soldiers. He didn't say, come follow me and I'll make you um, tax collectors of, of men in a spiritual way. He didn't say something about another vocation. He contextualized his comments to their vocation. These men were fishermen and Jesus was now redeeming their vocation. I think if he were speaking to tax collectors or soldiers uh, or shepherds, he would have used a different metaphor, but he uses this metaphor. Why? Because he wanted to say to them, you have skills. I want your skills to be baptized in the service of me. I want you to fish, not just for fish, but for people. So he's giving their vocation new meaning. And I believe he wants to give your vocation new meaning. I believe Jesus meets us, what this text is saying, in part at least. He meets us right where we are, and he says, I can use what you've got. I can use what you know, but I'm going to bend it into my agenda, not just your agenda. So what does it look like for your agenda to be shaped? What does it look like for your skills and your vocation to be molded and shaped into service for God? I believe that's what the Lord's asking us to think about. I believe the Lord is wanting to do something that then causes us to shift our own understanding of our skills and our talents in the way that we could be useful to him. And here's the last thing I want to say. This text reminds us that in this calling, a community was born. I love it. Not only did they learn to fish for people, they learned to fish for people and do it together. Essentially, a family is formed, and these four disciples join Jesus, and then other disciples are added, and then others, and others, and others, all the way down to you and me. Then we become a part of a big family, learning to belong together as we follow Jesus. And maybe right now it's challenging to imagine the together part of being in the family. Christians aren't getting along. Christians are dividing over all kinds of things. And yet, y'all, we're called to belong. We're called to be a part of a bigger thing. And that's what happened for these early friends of Jesus. And I would argue the call is the same today. I'll make you fishers of men and women, but I want you to fish together. I want you to see that redemptive work happen within the context of community. So where's your community what does it look like? I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say this. You know, I'm so thankful that so many of you from all over the country, and frankly, now lots of countries are listening to this podcast. But this isn't your family. This is a, an encouragement tool to spark renewal in your hearts. But you need community. You need a spiritual family. We all do. So I pray that you would look for it, pray for it, seek it out, and celebrate when you find it. Father, I pray for my friends. I ask you to give us the grace to be faithful today, and Lord, help us to walk through this holy week with eyes to see you at work. We ask for your mercy and your grace, Jesus, as you would find us and form us and bring us together. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you felt moved or inspired by something in this podcast, an idea, an image, or an impression, 
Carry it with you into your day as a prayer, coming back to it again and again in the spaces throughout your day. Be curious about what God wants to show you. What in your life needs to hear this word of encouragement, inspiration, or course correction? And be courageous in your response. The Holy Spirit will give you the grace to carry out whatever He places on your heart. And thank you for being with us today. We look forward to having you with us again next time here at Renewing the Center. Mm -hmm.